0: Welcome into the back room. I'm Andy Ostroy. Very excited to be sitting here today with my friend, my business partner, Mm -hmm. and perhaps the busiest woman alive. We're going to talk about that. (laughs) One of the busiest people that I know for sure. She is actor and producer, a TV host of the show, It Couldn't Happen Here, author, podcaster, entrepreneur, activist, mom to Gus and George, and wife to actor Jeffrey Dean Morgan, and as I found out recently like PTA vice president lady? Oh, I'm the middle school rep, man. Right. I'm in charge of middle school. It's thrilling. So I want to I start with that because I had a very brief stint back in the 80s with my older children in their grade school, a public school in New York City, uh, where I was a little active in the PTA and the parents group. And I got to say, it was a little cuckoo. It, it was a lot cuckoo.
1: All those moms are listening right now. They're like, we remember and, you too, And dads. Andy. And yeah. dads.
0: So and now I've known you now, I think, nine or 10 years. And I'm...
1: Over, y- more than that. I, Gus was like 18 months old oh, more when than I knew right, right. you.
0: Right. No, we've had Samuels for eight or nine years. Right. Yes. It's longer than that. And, uh, you know, to be honest, I, when you told me this, I thought... Like, I'm equal parts, wow, this is so up Hillary's alley, Mm -hmm. and this is so not up Hillary's alley. Well,
1: I, because you know I live on a farm, so I don't have to engage with anybody. There's like no neighbors. I love being an introvert. I think that that is something that people don't understand, is that I am a deep, deep, deep introvert. I can just do the other stuff. But if you look at the span of my career, I've been making content for teenagers since I was 18 years old. I started working at MTV when I was 18. And so it was like, how do we make the teens happy? And then it was One Tree Hill. And then, you know, even with our candy store, how do we make the teens in town happy? And so the pandemic really damaged kids. Um, We've gaslit them. We've told them that everything's back to normal, and it's not. And I'm currently producing a couple other projects that are geared towards teenagers, and we've done all this research And there was a CDC study that just came out that said, look, the biggest problem with these kids is that they're sad. There's nothing to look forward to. There's no fun. They know the planet's going to die. They know they're probably going to die, you know, get shot somewhere. Everything's chaotic and awful. And every conversation they have in school is about bullying or getting, you know, predators coming after them on the Internet. Everything's so dark. And so my take is that it's my responsibility as a parent and as a you know a citizen of this little village we live in to create frivolity. Mm-hmm. There is only this little chunk of time where they're little. And so I'm planning pep rallies, I'm getting letter jackets for the kids. Like I wanted to look and feel as fun as the best teen movie you've ever seen. Mm-hmm. So we're just taking like all our movie making skills. I'm calling in Wardrobe. I'm calling in set dressing. <laughs> I'm just like, what can we do? So these kids feel like it was the time of their lives mm-hmm. because they they deserve it. And that normal baton that gets passed, it's like the the eighth graders teach the incoming sixth graders and the seniors teach the incoming freshmen. That didn't happen for two years. So there's this huge gap where the kids really don't know how to do it. Mm-hmm. And
0: if there's one thing this dork knows how to do, <laughs> it's school. <laughs> so how about the process? Because I remember, like, when you put a bunch of moms and a bunch of dads in a room, mm-hmm. and it involves, like, a principal and teachers and emotion and this and that. Now you're talking about like post-pandemic. Like, yeah. Is, is there drama?
1: Oh, I'm sure. Yeah, I mean, I'm, like, learning little bits of, like, where's the money? And what does it get spent on? And... I keep saying, I was like, it's it's my job not to create labor for anyone. So I don't want any teacher or administrator to feel like, oh shit, that Burton woman wants me to make a list, <laughs> you know? But I think there's a whole new crop of moms that are just getting involved for the first time and we're all learning as we go. So there's, I don't know, it's a team building exercise for the grownups too, but I also, you know... Oh, I'm so nervous. Like I remember, my dad did PTA when I was a kid, and it was so stressful. He got pneumonia and like almost died. And so I'm just like, don't go so hard. Like we're gonna go, we're gonna go medium.
0: And how did you, how did you rise to the top? Like how did you?
1: Dude, I got duped.
0: (laughs) How did you get hoodwinked into that?
1: It was so funny. So I got asked if I would mentor the civics class at the middle school because they just want to do, it's all about doing projects in the community. And I was like, yes, absolutely. And so the kids wanted to do a short film about some folklore in our community. And I was like, right up my alley, this is awesome. So it's basically a little mini documentary. Well, that turned into me being like, hey, what about like other things going on in the school? They're like, you know who you should talk to is Adele abide she had been the rep for the middle school her kids are in high school now so she'd been doing it just mm-hmm. to be cool I go to lunch with Adele and she's like you know what's so cool is that you're gonna do it now <laughs> so it started off as an inquiry mm. and it's good it's good they asked me in that meeting they're like do you have a number two and I just volunteered my friend Sean I was like yeah Sean will do it and then
0: that no, I, know. I know yeah yeah
1: like Sean will do it. They're like, have you talked to him about it?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yes.
0: So you're like co, co- or, or he's oh he's your number two, he's right? He's my right.
1: number two. Listen, uh-huh. we're trying to compartmentalize. Right. This is a small village. And so one of the things we're dealing with is that the PTSA encompasses kindergarten all the way through senior year. And so my goal is to really zero in and focus on the middle schoolers. Because mm-hmm. I think, one, that's a, a period of time that gets kind of ignored. People don't want to think about it. They're like, well, the high school's doing homecoming. They're doing varsity sports. They're doing all this big stuff. The little kids are so cute. But middle school really is the most difficult time of a kid's life. They're going through puberty. The change from elementary school to middle school is extraordinary. And so if I can make that little pocket of childhood Mm. decent for a couple kids, that is worth the
2: effort.
0: Mm-hmm. And is is Sean like Dick Cheney number two? No, or is Sean's, he like Mike Pence number two? Is he a, like no he's a lawyer, man? And so I wanna do all the dumb like,
1: you know, we're gonna paint hawks. Our school mascot is the hawks. And so I went and I bought like 50 uh garden decoys to keep pests out of your garden. Mm-hmm. They're hawks. And I'm like, the kids are gonna paint these hawks and we're gonna sell them at the farmers market. And so I'm doing all that kind of big dumb you know, fun stuff, and Sean's the one that's like, "Okay, we have to fill out grant applications, Hillary. We have to do like adulting." And so we are—we're a strong team.
0: Well, good for you. I—I I, I always say this to you. I don't know how you do everything you do, and now you're like running the PTA, and I don't know how you do that because I know how much work that involves. I
1: rope people into it. Yeah. And guess what? You're going to do next year.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Ain't happening. I'll tell you right now, I ain't half Yeah. To. So, I also read something recently that you and former Secretary of State Malin Albright have something in common now.
1: Well, thank God.
0: <laughs> Which is that you were, and I'm probably not going to say this right, but you were awarded in, like, uh, recognized in Loud, Loudown County?
1: Loudoun County. Loudoun, that's Loudoun County. Home.
0: Which is where you're from, yeah, in Virginia, as being one of the homegrown, awesome people. That uh, There was a long list, uh, not that long a list, but a pretty notable list. But Madeline Albright was on, and she so she comes from your... It's
1: exciting, yeah, uh, for Women's Month. Because um, you're
0: very active in the schools down there and raising money, and you created a nonprofit. and you're...
1: Yeah, it was interesting. So when I took this PTSA thing on, just serendipitously, my student government sponsor from high school, who really... Was an important part of my life. Bobby Johnson, she came up to visit. And so she spent all last weekend here. So I got to sit down with the woman who taught me leadership skills and student government and involvement and just pick her brain about PTA stuff. And we got the announcement about this Women's Month honor while she was here. And so it was just really nice to share that with her because, you know, her and her husband were our student government sponsors, they were our teachers, and they did not have biological children of their own. They had thousands of graduates of Parkview High School. And so we are their kids. Mm. And so to be able to celebrate that with her was
2: really no, cool. That's
0: great. Congratulations. It's Thank always you. nice to be recognized for the the altruistic work one does, because that's <laughs> like a thankless job in this world, Well, especially these days.
1: Loudoun County is very similar to Dutchess <clears throat> County, uh, pre-development. So Loudoun County, in the 80s and 90s looked just like Rhinebeck and Red Hook, and it was a very similar feeling. And then AOL moved in, and it just kind of blew mm-hmm. up and became a city. And it's a,
0: it's a blue county. It's mainly Democrat. And
1: uh, Anytime you see those school board meetings uh, that go viral where parents are freaking out about stuff, that's Loudoun County. Oh, really? <laughs> it is, like, they made fun of us on Saturday Night Live. It was...
0: So do you, is Loudoun County have cat litter in the girls' bathrooms in oh school? Oh, my
1: God, dude. No, the, the thing that, the reason I started a nonprofit back home in Sterling is that my high school was a Title I high school. It was 89% minority population, whereas every other school in the county was 70 to 80% white, and Loudoun County was the wealthiest county in the United States because of all these like AOLs and Amazons that moved into the area. It is the, um, it's where the entire nervous system of the internet is based. Mm -hmm. And so you had this huge wealth gap and the kids at my high school were getting totally ignored while these other kids had like multi-million dollar scholarship funds and like black box theaters that are better than things that we have on Broadway. I mean, it was insanity. (laughs) And so we went and we got really noisy about it. And some new kids that I graduated with are, you know, we've become parents to teenagers. And they came up and formed their little PTA down there. And they have advocated to get a brand new building for these kids. Because, you know, our building was all asbestos and water leaks. And they've done an extraordinary job of forcing a county that can be very loud for for red causes, mm-hmm. if you will, they've forced them into equity mm-hmm. for these kids.
0: So g- growing up, you were, I would, we've talked about how you are, your family was red. Yeah. Not exactly. blue. Mm-hmm. You're blue.
1: I. You how know, does that
0: make for life?
1: Well, with- growing up outside of D.C., everyone was politically engaged. Mm-hmm. You know, I... I loved the news as a kid. I was obsessed with Mary and Barry. Mm -hmm. I was obsessed with...
0: Are you talking through the motel crack cocaine prostitute phase or before? right up to that? (laughs) I was in
1: elementary school with the assignment, like you would have to bring in newspaper clippings about things in the news. He had some clippings. Oh, and I loved covering them. I was just like, guys, this is wild. And I I was just really, really drawn to the news. We, um, you know... We lived in a political household. My father is was military at the time. All of my friends' parents were either Secret Service or Department of Defense. Um, everyone's parents worked for the government. Mm-hmm. And now all of my friends, a lot of them work for the government, which is terrifying. Because when you grow up with someone, you know all the dumb shit they've done. You're like, oh, no, you're a decision
2: maker <laughs> You're now. in the Secret Service? Good.
1: Um, but I think... When I moved to New York at 18, my expectation was that everyone was going to be worldlier than I was. And it became clear to me that not everyone is blessed with the exposure to our government that I got to grow up with. Mm-hmm. I, I went to the White House all the time. I had field trips with Colin Powell. You know, I was doing a lot of um, like women and leadership things in D.C. And so I feel... I feel like that really paved the way because there was never there was never a ceiling for me. I could see, like, the trajectory mm-hmm. to become a senator. I could see the trajectory to become very high-ranking in all of these different places. The FBI and the CIA used to come scout our science fairs. If you were doing behavioral sciences, they would come and tap you for an internship. Mm-hmm. And so that was just where we grew up. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I mean, the expectation for me growing up in a conservative family is that I would remain aligned with that. I think when I moved to New York and I started to learn more about other people's lives, about different economic groups, about different, you know, race groups, any of that was a little bit threatening Mm -hmm. to where I'd come from. And so that's a really hard thing to navigate. And it really wasn't it wasn't combative until, you know, Trump came into office. Mm-hmm. It was always really manageable to push back against other people's ideas until until he took over. And then it was just indoctrination and it it became football. It was like, this is my team and right. your team sucks. Right. And that was sad to watch politics, this thing that I've loved my entire life, become tribal sports. Mm-hmm. It was just it made it small.
0: Mm hmm. So you can't, you can't have conversations with family about politics.
1: No, um, no. I mean, it's like, why do you have to make everything political is the thing that's been said to me. And my response is it's not political. It's ethics. It's morals. Right. It's civil rights. That's not political. That's, I mean, what are, what are we doing? So it's, uh. It's made the relationships like my student government sponsor, like other mom type figures or adult figures in my life really, really important because I want to be able to have conversations with the people I love that are not surface. I don't want to talk about your favorite sandwich. I don't want to, you know, I want to talk about this big stuff because then I am in the position where I have to go and explain it to my kid mm-hmm. and I need those adults in my life that I can hash that stuff out with.
0: Mm hmm. So I want to, I want to switch gears and talk to you about Mischief Farm. Okay. (laughs) Okay. You've lived in a lot of places. You and Jeff have lived in a lot of places, but it's not common for guys in the business to live full time on a farm. I mean, you can have a house in the country, but then you go back to the city and, but for the most part you guys are you're based up in the Hudson Valley and you live on a farm and you've yeah. got alpacas and you've you know you you're farmers.
1: Yeah. Yeah, we got a cow fence now that really needs to be repaired cuz I've got a bull. Got a highland cattle bull and he likes scratching on this one part of the fence and I'm like I do not have the skill set mm-hmm. to capture this thing once it's out. So.
0: <laughs> and is the farm like I guess you were just talking about growing up in Virginia, not that, you know, it's you know, it's outside of D.C., so it wasn't the most rural place in the world. No, but it was def- a chain link fence. Yeah, <laughs> but is that is that somehow part of your, your childhood and growing up, like sort of like the non-city thing in you?
1: I think seeing the farms in my county disappear to development. You know, it used to be we had cows and cornfields mm-hmm. and all that kind of stuff when I was little, and now we joke that the only thing that we grow in Loudoun County is McMansions. Um, Weed? (laughs) I wish. (laughs) No, it's just houses. Mm -hmm. House and house and shopping center shopping center. And the county segregated itself because every time a developer came into the county and built this big, huge housing development, they also had to build a shopping center to go with it. And they also had to build a high school, a middle school, and an elementary school. And so every two years, this new little village is popping up. And the white people move into those new villages and they leave, you know, everyone else who's building and landscaping and, you know, taking care of the shops and doing the housekeeping. They left all them back in Sterling Park, my village. Okay, white people. But they totally segregated themselves Mm -hmm. and didn't even see it. You know, I don't think anyone did it consciously, but that's exactly what happened up here in Dutchess County there has been a concerted effort not to do that. If you look at the Arlington School District, they said, no, we're growing at a really incredible speed. And rather than uh, segregate ourselves into these the haves and the have-nots, Anytime a developer builds, they have to buy into our existing school. Mm -hmm. So Arlington High School has like 800 kids per grade, but they've got an incredible theater program. They've got monster sports programs. They've got everything because the wealthy families are buying in Mm -hmm. and everyone benefits. Um, And so it was just an example of um, a different way of thinking that preserved this county Mm -hmm. in a way that my home county didn't. They just didn't anticipate it.
0: So on, on your farm, I, I'm sure there are people that are like, oh, yeah, they you know, Hollywood people owning a farm, whatever. But, like, I know you guys are, like, literally pulling eggs out of chickens' asses <laughs> 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 and cleaning up shit. Like, I, you know, you've got the muck boots you've on. and have been there. Yeah, I've been there. So, <laughs> so you, it, you enjoy that. You enjoy—you didn't yeah. just buy a farm or have a farm because it was cool. I mean, you guys love—
1: well, it's preservation. It. I mean, the same thing that happened in my town happened to Jeff's hometown. Boeing came in and just took over mm-hmm. in Washington state. And for us, preserving the farmland, because this is a piece of property that's been a farm for, you know, 100, 100 years at least, if not longer, preserving it so that it doesn't all start turning into little tract housing developments and mm-hmm. things like that. And we let local farmers, excuse me. We let local farmers come in and let their animals graze on our property spring, summer, and fall. We have sheep that come, we have cows that come. They all then go to the Dutchess County Fair to be shown. They go to the Sheep and Wolf Festival to be shown. (laughs) And so it's it's a I'll scratch your back, you scratch mine kind of situation. Cause they're the ones that have taught me how to farm. Ed Hackett at Hackett Feed Store in Salt Point, (laughs) New York has taught me everything about farming. And so now when I put my garden in, You know, I get to pass that knowledge down to my kids who are like, maybe they'll like it. Maybe they won't. You know,
0: I don't see Gus pulling eggs out of chicken. Gus
1: is the he's the gardener. George is Mm -hmm. the animal whisperer. My daughter (laughs) is in the donkey barn. Like every chance she gets every pair of shoes she has are just covered in like donkey shit. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, Jeff, she has to go to school. (laughs) Like we have to have one clean pair of shoes. Mm -hmm. But it's I don't know. We were in L.A. when Gus was born. And I didn't feel good there. Mm -hmm. And when we came here, it was like, oh, no one cares. No one cares what your parents do. They care about the kid here. And that's what I wanted for our kids. Mm -hmm. You know, I'll go in somewhere and they're like, oh, you're Gus's mom. It's like, yes.
0: Yeah, no, it's I mean, I've been up here for 20 years now and I've been trying to migrate more and more here because I did. I've lived in the city for most, forever yeah forever and grew up in queens and and it's just a, it's a different vibe here and the older you get the more you like that vibe yeah. you know <laughs> right. i mean it's just
1: i'm trying to be in bed at 7:30 no you i i really value the duality of our community because you're right we have a lot of city transplants that have moved up here and Reinbeck is this little artistic bubble where a lot of like-minded people want to preserve what exists here mm-hmm. uh, the other side of the coin is that we have a lot of very conservative, like eighth, ninth generation farming families in our community. And rather than be combative with one another, I think there is a nice coexistence that happens here that maybe should be a model for other places. I know Antonio Delgado, while he was our congressman, was like winning awards for being able to pass bipartisan legislation. And that stems from him not catering just to his base, Mm -hmm but to reaching out and trying to engage people and say, what do you need? Yeah. What can I do for you? Just you know? the fact
0: that he got elected up here is, uh, was, was really amazing. Yeah. You know, because of what you're saying, he was able to speak across party lines and appeal to his constituents, not a, not a political ideology that mm-hmm. he's indoctrinated himself from. Um, so Let's talk about your, your entrepreneurial <laughs> spirit. We, we've we owned a candy store together with Paul Rudd and Julie Rudd for, uh, I think it's about nine years now. But you recently, when I say recently, I'm getting old and like that could mean like three years dude, ago. COVID
1: but, years don't count. Yeah, like, yeah. what's recent? COVID oh, and Ostroy
0: well. years don't count. <laughs> but libations, the booze business. When did you start that? Oh, Why did you start dude. that?
1: So we started- Are you guys
0: big, just getting drunk all the time God. on your own shit?
1: You know what it was? It was like- it was like we're involved in so many movies or TV shows or just business in general that it's it's like work. It's work. And I wanted an outlet that no matter how heavy the workload was, it was a party. It was fun. So during the pandemic, while I was making masks, a distillery in our community reached out to me, Vail Fox Distillery. And they said, hey, we've made all this hand sanitizer and it seems like you've already figured out how to distribute stuff can we work together to distribute the hand sanitizer? And we were like, yes. So we introduced them to all these different places, you know, Reinbeck Responds, um, the hospital, you know, any place that needed hand sanitizer, you couldn't find it. And instead of making their gin, they were like, we're gonna pause production. We're gonna do this thing for the community. And so we just kind of became internet friends. And then when the world opened up again, Jeffrey and I were like, well, let's go over and say hi. Like, let's just go look at their distillery. It's in LaGrange. So we drove over and we pulled up and all of their barns and their view, because they're on a hill the same way we are, it was like the sister facility to our farm. It was identical Mm. in a way that was kind of eerie. And they were so lovely. We met Aral, who is the owner, and Cliff, who is managing everything over there. And we did this tour of their beautiful copper stills. They have these very, like, high-end copper stills that only the big, you know, biggest of the big guys use. And then a few boutique distilleries around the world. And we were like, yeah, you know, we've been approached to get into the liquor business. People have come to us and asked us to endorse things. But I don't like endorsing something that maybe I don't use myself or that I'm just being used as, like, a work for hire. I'm a prop. Trump vodka. Yeah, like, ugh, gross, come on. And they were like, would you guys want to collaborate somehow? And I was like, mm-hmm, this is how I hoped this was going to go. <laughs> so we uh, we worked with their gin as a base because I was a fan. I've never been a gin fan in my whole life. It tastes like Christmas trees, not for me. But theirs was so different. It had kind of the a floral vibe to it instead of that Christmas tree taste. And I was like, what is this? And they infuse it with rooibos tea. And so it creates a really lovely botanical flavor that doesn't punch you in the face. So we use that as our base, and then we sat down and we talked about things that were important to us at Mischief Farm. And so Jeff talked about his fires, and like, just the chopping wood and the axes, and Jeff is just (laughs) fire, 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 fire. And so we used a local tea, Harney and Sons. We used their Lapsang Sochung tea, and it gave our rye whiskey this really like lovely smoky Mm -hmm. layer because a lot of times whiskey gets put in a drink, like a mixed drink with a sweet element. And so that smoky layer in a mixed drink is very Jeff Morgan. That is his vibe. And then for me, they're like, what do you like growing? And I've got blackberry brambles all over the property. And I love like cooking with those, putting them in shrubs, putting them in pies. The blackberries are my favorite thing. So we created these taste profiles that We wanted to feel like a visit to Mischief Farm. These are the things that you would experience if you came to our farm. And now I have to learn (laughs) state-by-state regulations Mm. because every
0: state... It's intense, right? I I used to work with a lot of wine companies back in the day.
1: It's. I mean, I need to go back to college for this because every state has a different blue law. Mm -hmm. And you can be sold online in like 36 states But then all the rest, you have to go through like a package store, ABC store, something like that. And some states, like we're in Virginia right now and they're just gonna start with the gin. But you can't, I don't think you can order it online. I think you have to go to the ABC store, ask for it. They'll order it, bring it in. And so for me as a business owner, being able to clearly articulate to the fan base what the rules are for every single state That's my part of the job.
0: And do you have like a a, like a special lawyer who specializes in the alcohol industry and they know all this stuff like those guys exist?
1: Yeah. Yeah, of course. Of course. Every there's a boutique uh, person for everything. So there's like there's publicists that only do alcohol and there's lawyers that only do alcohol. Mm, And there's a whole ecosystem that I didn't know about until we got in the thick of it.
0: And you really are. I mean, I've seen you go to like the Dutch, like the fairs, and oh, yeah. you're like we're at, passing the, out shots. at the booths. <laughs> Who
1: wants some? Uh, we did a really lovely event with the Beekman Boys. They had a big event up at their place, and so we went and we gave drinks there. We're gonna be down at the Congressional Spouses brunch for Jill Biden in May, passing out drinks down there. So yeah, I mean, nice. we're, we're we're getting in there, man. So
0: you got you're passing out the candy to the kids. Yeah. And the booze to the adults. You got, got everybody covered. covered.
1: <laughs> that's why my homecoming parade's going to be so Getting them drunk fun. and <laughs> filled
0: with candy and making everybody happy. Yeah. You're in the happiness business.
1: I think, yes.
0: Literally. I mean, you are in the happiness business. You sell candy, you sell alcohol. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. What's I mean, next? life's short, man. I don't know. Well, you said weed. Are we going to start a farm together? Anyway? Maybe.
0: Maybe. <laughs> I keep hearing people talk about weed and, you know, but that's another landscape that's pretty dicey too in terms of regulations and laws oh, yeah. and who gets the p- permits or whatever the you know how do you, how do you become you know, like not every schmuck can grow weed you got to no, go through no. a whole
1: No and I I firmly <clears throat> believe that uh communities that have been targeted for the growth and sale of weed should be the first people to get permits right. and so you know i know that it was a really big deal when that first shop opened up in the city like we have to bri- prioritize black farmers right. and because they are the ones who have borne the brunt of the aggression of the drug war right. you know they're, the war on drugs they're the ones that got locked up they're the ones that need reparations
0: yeah so let's talk about your tv show okay. uh, talking about injustice uh, let's how, how about segueing from that yeah,
1: that's not fun yeah that's I, maybe um, i do all the fun stuff because I do not shy away from dark stuff and I really need a palate cleanser every Mm -hmm. once in a while so I don't freak out.
0: So how did that, you you, you host this show, it's called, It Couldn't Happen Here. It's basically about identifying and trying to rectify injustice in small town America. Yeah. And how did that come about? And it's, you know, I'm a true crime fan and it's kind of ironic because I've lived true crime in my personal life. Yeah. But I was a true crime fan before that, so you, you like what you like. You
1: like puzzles. You want to figure it out.
0: Well, there there is, your show, there's calls to action. Mm-hmm. You, you like, you know, if you watch, and this is not a knock to Dateline or any of those shows, but you watch them and pretty much when it's over, it's over.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: With your show, it's like, we got to get this guy out of jail, or we got to do this, or we've got to fix this, we got to right this wrong. Which is a kind of a unique element to The the true crime shows.
1: Yeah. You know, I think it works in our favor and it works to our detriment because people want to they want to watch this kind of programming and then turn it off and like be fine. And you're not fine after you watch my show. My show's hard. Hmm. But for fans of true crime, I know that there are a lot of keyboard detectives and I value keyboard detectives. You know, I'll be gone in the dark was a great example of people who could not let
0: it go. You ever see uh, Don't Fuck With Cats? Yes. My God, that is unbelievable.
1: Thank God for these just citizens who care. Mm -hmm. And I think there's more and more and more of them. And that is who I want to engage with.
0: Mm
2: -hmm.
1: And so I, um, as a teenager, was really fixated on serial killers and crime and, I, got, I was in independent science research. It was like a special science club at school. And I bullied the class into doing DNA research and studying serial killers and wrongful convictions and things like that. And so my teacher, Denise Wingfield, from that class, she just knew this is exactly what I would be getting into as an adult because um, she nurtured it when I was a kid. And so when I went to Fordham at Lincoln Center, it was attached to the law school, and I was studying psychology and criminology and everything and journalism and everything I was doing was leading up to me going to the law school so that I could follow this path if mm-hmm. the acting thing didn't work out. But it did. It doesn't mean this interest ever went away. Right. And so I've always advocated for judicial reform. I, I've always seen the flaws in our systems. It's based on money. That's it. It's how much money do you have? Can you hire a really hot shit defense lawyer. And if you can't, then the prosecutor needs the win because they have to run for election in a couple years and they're not gonna run on losses. Mm -hmm. So justice doesn't matter. So the case that actually really lit a fire under my ass was the Nikki Adamondo case Mm -hmm. here in town. Uh, She was a young woman who was horrifically abused by her partner. It was very well documented. She went to therapists, she went to the hospital, she went to law enforcement. And what women are forced to do is like all of our, our systems can see all of that abuse and be like, well, do you want to press charges? It's like, no, it's going to blow everything up. Like it's going to make it so much worse, so much more dangerous. So the pressure that is put on women to make that decision, we have to take that off of them. It is totally inappropriate. You know, if someone, if someone like, kills your loved one. You don't get to decide whether or not the state presses charges. Mm-hmm. And I think that there are a number of, um, of interventions that can take place before things escalate. So if we know a woman's been hit, you don't have to lock the person up that did it, but you can put them in mandatory therapy, mm-hmm. mandatory counseling. And so every system in our county failed Nikki Adamondo. And what resulted was her shooting her partner turning herself in right away, Mm -hmm. you know, there was no lies or getting around it. And I watched as the prosecutor and a judge in our town, the things they said to this woman were horrendous, that she was a willing participant in her own rape that was put on Pornhub, that she was a master manipulator and a femme fatale and just like all these disgusting things where they took her lifetime of abuse at the hands of men and turned it into this salacious, like, a current affair kind Mm -hmm. of story. And we're better than that. And so when I went to go speak out against this judge, I realized I'd interacted with him. And he ran in circles. You know, he was going to the ball at the hospital with his wife where we would get invited every year. I'm looking at pictures on Facebook of him and his wife with my friends. And I was like, God, how does someone in a small town speak out against something like Mm. this? And now it's my understanding that he plans on running for DA. And I am not comfortable with that. And so me as a private citizen knowing like, okay, well, I might run into this person. I might run into his supporters. If I'm doing PTA, how does that affect what I'm doing if I'm very vocal that this is not a person I want in charge of any domestic violence cases in my town? So I knew those complications existed here. I brought them to AMC where Jeffrey and I had done Friday Night In during the pandemic. Mm -hmm. And we had addressed some hard stuff there. And I said, I want to really focus on small towns and how that specific little ecosystem Mm -hmm. uh, is just ripe for injustice. Mm -hmm. And they're like, okay, go see if you can find other cases across the country. And,
0: oh, my God. You know, the biggest one is the one we've just been through, the Murdoch case.
1: Well, so I got called into that case. I had someone reach out to me before the mom and the son were shot. I got someone calling me when that when that young man was killed on the road. And they're like, this rich kid in town killed this guy and no one will do anything. And so I'd already been circling the case. And then I get a phone call that the whole family's gone. And I was like, what is this? And so...
0: Yeah, that was like the most shocking thing. Yeah. Not that the, you know, his wife and son getting killed isn't shocking. But when they... Br- When I was watching the Netflix, uh, I think it was Netflix, not HBO, when they introduced that element of it, that kid that was just killed in the middle of the road. That's what I got called Nothing was done about that.
1: Nothing. Nothing. No, and it happens all the time. And what's really difficult is that the way that local media gets their information about crimes, crime scenes, arrests, indictments, all of it, they get their information either from the sheriff's department or from the district attorney's office right? And so that's the story they have to run. So you can't just put in the Google machine, injustice in small towns, because it doesn't get reported that way. Why would a sheriff's department or a DA tell on themselves? And so you have to almost go through like Reddit threads. Mm. I've almost said fortunately, but actually this is unfortunately, we don't have to dig anymore because people are now just coming to us. We're getting DMs. I was going to ask you that. that. So
0: you're you're getting bombarded with People who's, who are either involved in a case, a yeah. family member, and they feel like nothing is getting done. Like yeah. This, wow.
1: yeah, it's really, really hard. It's hard. And so what we try to do is create a wide representation. Mm-hmm. You know, we covered a case of a young gay man in Texas, Brandon Woodruff, whose parents were murdered. And he was convicted based on the... Their log line was, well, if you can lie about being gay, you can lie about killing your parents. Mm-hmm. You know, he was 18 years old. He was just coming out. It was his freshman year in college. Right. That's, That's when everybody comes we, out.
0: We call that a stretch.
1: Yeah. I mean, it was just ridiculous. And he's still sitting in prison.
0: No, it's crazy.
1: I'm trying desperately to get him out.
0: Is it a moral dilemma for you? Like when you get so many cases like, and you've got six or eight episodes a season, like, how do you ultimately choose... Yeah, I, mean, I know you're speaking to that now, but it's like it, I'm listening to you talk and it's like it sounds really heavy because mm-hmm. every time you choose something, that means you're probably not choosing 50 others.
1: And there's a lot of hope that the families have because now that our show is kind of a proven entity, they can watch our episodes. Mm-hmm. Most of the people we've engaged with have, other, have done other programs as well. And the other programs come in, they've got an 8 by 10 piece of paper, here are the 10 questions I'm going to ask you. Give me my sound bites. Okay, see you later. I'm never gonna to talk to you again. And with our show, I think the shortest interview I've ever done with someone is like six hours, especially family members. Usually family members, it's closer to eight hours. I mean, we- Wow. I have lunch with them. We sit and we talk. I explain to them the information I've collected. There have been some families who are like, the lawyers haven't even talked to us this much. Like, you're telling us stuff we don't know.
0: Mm-hmm. And do you have, like, you have a research team? Yeah, like, oh, you know? yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah. We have a really wonderful documentary crew. Um, Poe Cutchins, mm-hmm. Dan Flaherty, and Andrew Dunn are a trifecta who have worked together for over 20 years doing everything from Dog the Bounty Hunter to, you know, all of these shows about real-time cop stuff. Uh, what is it, First 48, Dan mm-hmm. was a big part mm-hmm. of. And so they have, uh, you know, the Scott Peterson documentary was Poe. They have such a um, deep knowledge of how to do it and do it with empathy, not just for the victims' families, but also like these members of law enforcement that see the problem and have to speak up against it. Mm -hmm. They're the ones who cry the hardest in the interviews because the betrayal for them is so huge. And they're like, we thought our brotherhood loved us. We thought that we were a part of something special. And when I spoke up against this horrible thing, I was cut off. I mean, they just disposed of me. And so we have to have empathy for everybody mm-hmm. involved in the story. And they've taught me a lot, but it's a nice combination because they are the professional documentari- documentarians. I'm not a journalist. I'm not a lawyer. I say that I'm, I'm just some lady. And so I don't have to follow all the rules that a normal journalist or a normal lawyer...
0: When you follow. go into these towns, mm-hmm. and I think now, like most of us in America who may, may have been living in the dark, let's say that, you know, for no other reason than they just, they're busy with lives. The Murdoch case is so big mm-hmm. that you have to be living under a rock now not to understand how that incestuous, corrupt, small town thing works. Mm-hmm. So when you go into a town, are they like, lady you know, fuck off. Like, I mean, Zoltan. how much resistance do you get? Like, do you ever feel in danger, or threatened? Like, have you ever had threats made against you? Like, you better get your, in your car and get the hell out of here because you're digging too deep, like that kind of shit. Has that ever happened?
1: So we haven't had direct flat, threat, direct threats. I don't think that, you know, there is a perk to being married to Negan. There's kind of this, like, mystique. Are you referring to Lucille? <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I mean, I think because I'm so out there and high profile,
0: as opposed to other journalists... Wait, is is Negan real? Yeah. Well, oh, I thought he was just a...
1: No, he's a great kisser. Jeff slips into that alter ego That's at all It's a home. little too much information right <laughs> <now. We're, laughs> How creepy. The back
0: room is a family show, Hillary. Can you Come please... On. There's no room for sex in this, in this, um, this room.
1: So, you know, because I... I'm on Instagram and I was on a teen drama and people grew up with me. There's a protective element to that. Mm -hmm. There just is. And I would be stupid if I didn't admit that, you know, people are maybe a little bit nicer to me Mm -hmm. in situations where they would tell someone else to fuck off
2: right? because they
1: know like, Oh, this girl will say something Mm -hmm. about it. But there have been cases where we have specifically had to really dig into law enforcement And that is where I have felt unsafe. Mm. There was a case in Florida where a young woman, her death looked like a suicide and just huge red flags all over it. And her partner, who she was leaving that night, was law enforcement. And so she shot herself, and I say that with quotes, Mm -hmm. with his service weapon. And Mm. just how convenient. Right. And so we went down there and started digging. In every place we called, they're like, babe, we can't. Like, uh, there's a problem here. Don't put a camera on me. I'm not trying to die. Mm -hmm. You know, like it was, that was scary. It was in St. Augustine, Florida. And then we had another one in Georgia. And again, a staged suicide. The husband was the son of the prominent pastor. He was like named, he has the same name as the former district attorney And they're family friends. And I'm like, is this dude literally named after the former district attorney? (laughs) Just crazy. And that was, again, I had to speak to that man on the phone with huge questions as to whether or not he killed his wife. And I kept catching him in lies and having to confront him with those lies and say, no, I'm literally looking at the piece of paper right here that says that you abused a child. There is court documentation of it. And he's just continually like doubling down. And so that was very uncomfortable because his mother works for the county. Mm. And so when we stepped foot in that county, every single person knew. And he said it on the phone. He's like, I know exactly how long you've been here because. Larry
0: Burton's coming down today.
1: God, that was really stressful. Jeff was down in Georgia and I was really glad because I was just like, if you could just keep your phone ringer on because I'm uncomfortable
0: about today. Uh, Did he bring a couple of zombies with him?
1: Yeah. No, I just I just. Because they're him.
0: scary, those things. They are scary. Yeah, yeah. Especially in a small town.
1: Yeah. Should I take those with me everywhere now?
0: <laughs> you know, it's interesting. When you grow up, like I have in New York City, a lot of people who grow up in a big city, you, you, you don't understand how small towns work. I, But I often do think about that. I think about, and again, the Murdoch case just brings it to light, but... How small they are, like when the power structure, Mm -hmm. the law, law structure, and then everybody is also in the same church and the pressure of that. Like, you know, in New York, when you grow up in the city, you, you sometimes take your anonymity, your freedom, your ability to speak out and say whatever you want. Like, but I often think about what is it like to live in a small town where you, you, you live in fear I'd have to toe the line because this family runs the blah, 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 and everyone's in the church and you don't want to get kicked out of the church. I mean, it must be a hellish way to live in many ways.
1: Well, what we found, we were really lucky that Color of Change partnered with us our our first season because I did not want to go on the air without fact-checking and without just getting some, some advice from advocacy groups that have been tackling this material already. Mm -hmm. And so there was one particular episode where I said in my wrap up, I was like, small towns are safe. And we got the note back from them. They're like, Hillary, we appreciate the sentiment from you that you feel safe in a small town. But for people of color, for a lot of other women who are are not in the same position I'm Mm -hmm. in, Uh, And for members of the LGBTQ community, Mm -hmm. small towns are the least safe place Mm -hmm. in the country. And that was so illuminating for me because I'd just written my book, Rural Diaries, Mm -hmm. about how in love I was with my small town. Mm -hmm. And I think any part of a healthy relationship, if it's a marriage, you have to deal with the shit. You just have to do it. And so I can love small towns. I can love the PTA stuff. I can love our little main street with our candy store. I can love all of it but the only way to have a healthy relationship is to address the toxic stuff as well.
0: Mm-hmm. It's funny you mentioned Rural Diaries because literally the next thing on my list is books.
1: Oh wow, fantastic.
0: Are you looking at my notes? No
1: I'm not, but see we're just, that's how good of partners we are is that we can read each other's minds.
0: So Rural, Diary, Rural Diaries was your first book, New York Times bestseller, Yeah. unbelievable. And and I just read this. I didn't even know this. Grimoire girl.
1: Yeah, grimoire Did I say that? girl. Grimoire. Yeah. I only they're teasing Next me because I only do titles that have like an awkward word in them <laughs>
0: <laughs> that I have trouble pronouncing. This is my
1: rural grimoire. Yeah, grimoire. What is girl. grimoire?
0: Is that an actual like yeah word?
1: Grimoire is uh is a book that. Just, you know, to be stereotypical, that like a witch would own that had all of her information Mm. in it. It was Like her recipes, her gardening tips, her spells. It's basically the book of information that keeps you alive. Mm -hmm. And it used to be something that women could be persecuted for. And so now it's an act of defiance to have your own grimoire where you collect all of your life-saving information.
0: So I saw on Amazon, the way they're promoting it is a book of life-saving wisdom. Mm-hmm. essays from hillary's life and ways we can all create our own everyday enchantment is that a
1: yeah yeah i mean um magical thinking is really important especially mm-hmm. in a post-pandemic world we've seen the shit we okay let's all just acknowledge it it's all awful right so how do we go about finding magic in the world again so that we don't fall apart you know there. are I mean, you know, a couple of years ago, all my friends were dying. Everybody was dying. Mm-hmm. And the book really is an examination of that. It's when you are in the depths of despair, what is the knowledge that you have that can pull you out of it? Because it is, you don't have to look to external forces. You don't have to go belong to some club. It's in you. Mm-hmm. So... Let's zero in on it and let's write it down so that when you're lost, you've got this thing that brings you back to center.
0: And is this book going to be? I mean, you were quite revealing in uh, uh, and honest about the the good, bad, and the ugly about yeah. your life in r- rural. Why di- am I having such trouble? Rural, rural, diarage. <laughs> di- ra- r- ra- re- and rural r- <laughs> r- See if I say it that way, then I don't have trouble. Yeah, no, A- r- you're r- fine r- r- ra- r- there. R- is is Grimoire Girl e- equally revealing and honest and dark and?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's pretty dark. <laughs> I got a note from my editor uh, because I'd written in there, I'd written in there somewhere, I was messy. I was like, look, this is a chunk of time that was really messy. And I'm owning it. And I'm saying I'm messy. She's like, I feel like every time you write a book, you're a little bit messy, Hill. (laughs) Well, that's what a good book should be. Life is messy. It is. It is. And if we can find the mirth Mm-hmm. in the midst of the messy, that's the discovery that I want to make. Say
0: mirth and the messy. Mirth meth-y and ten, the messy. Ten times fast. No, but
1: I just, I don't want my kids to remember me as someone who was sh- stressed. I don't want my kids to remember me as someone who was bogged down. Mm-hmm. And so it is my job To show them how to do all the hard stuff, how to do 12 jobs at once and all the adulting and making dinner and PTA and like do all the stuff and be chaotic and tissue thin and laugh about it Mm -hmm. and make it nice and make it fun. Because if we make the decision that it's awful, then it will be awful. Mm -hmm. And if we make the decision that it will be enriching, hopefully it will be enriching and we won't be just like faking
0: it. (laughs) And you do, are you still doing the podcast yeah, we do drama, drama queens, queens, and I've got
1: another one that'll be announced this summer.
0: Wow! You, and you and, heard it here first, folks. And it uh, it couldn't happen here. That you're in season two now.
1: We have filmed two seasons, and now we are looking. We're looking to see what a season three would potentially look mm-hmm. like. You mm-hmm. know, we got a flood of cases sent to us, and so we're submitting those to the network to see what you know. Th- they weigh in too. Mm-hmm. They know what their viewership is. And they're like well you know we haven't had representation in like montana yet we haven't gone anywhere Mm -hmm. in that kind of wild part of america and those are really isolated parts of america and so i think you know we've been trying to prioritize going to places we haven't seen yet Mm
0: -hmm. you're a pretty act you're a pretty active tweeter like i am Uh, There's
1: not a fight we won't pick, Andy. You're not,
0: you're not shy on Twitter. What? Um, I'm a flower. And I, I want to, case in point, What'd this I week, there was, I'm going to need my, my old dude glasses for this, but apparently there was some school somewhere, I forget where it was, and the school decided that they're going to, to be even more inclusive than they thought they were in the past Yeah. with LGB. LGBTQIA plus people. And uh, so they changed their mission statement and they literally said, we are an affirming school. We stand with the LGBTQIA plus community and believe in their holiness. We celebrate the diversity of God's creation in all its varied and beautiful forms. And guess what all the good Christians did down there? They decided they're not going to support the school anymore. They defunded. And the, the school <laughs> closed. Yeah. The school closed yeah. because all of God's people decided that We're not all God's people. And you on Twitter uh, uh, responded so amazingly. You said, ah, yes, super Christian to deny inclusivity. Please judge and deny people their autonomy here on earth. Jesus would be so proud. How many of these extremists are divorced or had sex before marriage? The hypocrisy is insane. And it is the hypocrisy. I mean, I could talk for hours about religious hypocrisy, Mm -hmm. but... Why do you feel it's important to speak out the way you do, not just on Twitter, but, you know, but let's talk about Twitter because it is a place where people do use it as a platform to speak out. People also have gotten in a lot of trouble speaking out on Twitter. I went viral in a really fun, great way once. (laughs) I also went viral in a not so fun way once. Yeah. And it is a tricky landscape.
1: I'm in a weird spot because I know what I am. I am a white woman who grew up in a middle-class, military, super conservative NRA
0: family. I know what How you came out of that by the way is it's, it is amazing, like how that works in society when you can come from a family that's that way and and the child could be so different. Well, later on in life.
1: What happens is when the child grows up and starts asking questions in a healthy dynamic, the parent can answer them and there can be a conversation. Mm -hmm. In an unhealthy situation, the parent says, don't ask those questions. And so I want to live in an environment where my kids can ask me questions. I can ask my loved ones questions. But I know from growing up in that I was baptized in the evangelical church. I was confirmed in the Methodist church. I have gone to Episcopal churches my entire adult life. I am not someone who's anti-church. I love my relationship with God. You and I have spoken about that, but I know what these communities say behind closed doors
2: Mm -hmm. and
1: they can deny whatever they want to deny, but between going to visit friends' houses growing up or having relatives that would say things I wasn't comfortable with, you can't lie to me because I was there. Right. I know what you say. Mm-hmm. And I know what you mean when you say the dog whistle stuff. And
0: well it's courageous to speak out against religious hypocrisy because not everybody does it. and when some people do it they there there's consequences for it because this is still a very religious country, but what's infuriating is that it's what, wasn't it founded hypocrisy. on the
1: separation of church and yeah, state? but Not
0: to some I mean you're a governor uh, at your home state guy. Oh I don't know if you saw the CNN town hall last night but he Jake Tapper uh, very gingerly tried to pin him on something what he was talking about things about trans kid like He's parents been should be involved and so He's Jake been was like gunning well, for my county this kid here his his dad is the dad of a trans kid Mm -hmm. And he has an opinion that's different from the parent who wants to get rid of trans kids in bathrooms and sports teams. And so it just comes down to this parent or that parent. So when you say parents should have a role, which parents are you talking about? No, we know exactly which parents he's talking about. Mm -hmm. And I can't
1: stand that man. His attack on the trans community has specifically targeted Mm -hmm. my county. and. Our representatives, I say our, my high school's representative in the school board is not running again. She's leaving because she has a child who was being targeted and she has gotten death threats. She's had so many people come by her home. Mm-hmm. And so that governor can eat a bag of dicks. Sorry. Is this still a family show? Can't stand
0: it. Let me just check. Let me just check the, <laughs> just check the, the house rules. He uh, is no, bag of dicks is OK.
1: Awful. 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 Can't stand him. Yeah,
0: he Stay was, out of Loudon County. He, um, There was so many, so many parts last night that I, I wanted to just scream. But the thing I wanted to scream the most at is because he is the kind of Republican I fear the most. Because he's like a, a wolf in sheep's clothing. Oh, yeah. And if the Republican Party had a half of a fucking brain, they would make that guy their nominee, right? Instead of...
1: Because he comes in and he's just like, hey, man, I'm that kid that played... Basketball on your high school team. I'm your buddy. Meanwhile, I'm gonna totally make. You know what he's gonna do? He's gonna make all the drama kids and all the queer kids and all the math and weird. You know, all the weird kids from school go back and hide in their corner. Yeah, well, he's the guy that wants senior court answer, to only be the white jocks.
0: His answer to the trans. I mean, this. This. There was a, a young man who was in high school, and uh, he said, "I am a trans man, and I want to know. Do you think?" Because his uh, Yunkin's bathroom policy should be: you go to the bathroom based on the gender you were brought assigned. Into, assigned. Yeah. And he said, "Look at me, I'm a trans man. <clears throat> Do you think high school girls want to be in the bathroom with me?" Mm-hmm. And Yunkin, he had no answer. But no. his answer was, "Let's let's build gender-neutral bathrooms." Like, sure, let's have, like, a bathroom for the weird kids. Like, right. that's going to work in high school, right? Because there's not enough bullying right now. Oh, right. Like, let's, let's, By the yeah. way,
1: that's going to be the party bathroom, and that's where you're going to yeah. find me. <laughs> yeah, or,
0: or that's where you're going to find the bullies, literally. It's like Eddie, yeah. Eddie Murphy has an old routine where he's like, women? He goes, where I when I try to pick up women, I just stand outside the women's room. This is something. This is women. That's where I'm hanging out. Yeah. Well, if you're a bully, well... You're probably going to hang outside the gender neutral bathroom because that's where all the, the victims that you're going to bully and are, I, are going.
1: I put something on Instagram the other day that I saw a young gay man that I follow on Instagram post. And it was um, if you thought that it was about the water fountains, you probably think it's about the bathrooms, too. You know, yeah. Exactly. It's not about the water fountains. No. It's not about the bathrooms. This is oppression. This is targeting a vulnerable group of people. And it's about asserting power. It's almost like, I was thinking about this the other day, why the Republicans keep pushing the line further and further and further, because I know they don't believe all that shit. And it comes down to uh, like military spending. Mm -hmm. Every single year, the military's approved a budget. And you have to spend every single dollar of it because then the next year you have to prove why you need
2: right. you lose a, a budget that you big. You spend lose it, it
1: if mm-hmm. and so it's the same thing with this power. It's well, we gotta keep pushing because if we lighten up, then the line comes backwards. Mm-hmm. And and so it's that kind of pork belly spending, it's pork belly power. It's we've gotta push it as far as we can possibly push it just to see what we can
0: do. Right. How but, exciting. But it's also incredibly offensive to their constituents. Yeah. I mean, I can't... A day doesn't pass where I don't just scream at my TV going, when are you people going to learn that they're treating you like morons? Oh, Tucker yeah. Carlson, the whole Fox thing, they they, they text each other like, we hate Trump and we, you know, we don't believe any of these freaks. Rudy Giuliani, they're all lying. It's bullshit. The big lie is a big lie. And then they get on TV at night and go... Oh my God! The election was stolen, and poor Trump, and like, yeah. and you—they you, treat their constituents like morons, and yet they they keep lapping it up because they're fed all this culture war bullshit that yeah. taps into their worst beings and you know, their worst selves. But
1: you know what I equated to when I was hosting TRL on MTV every morning, we'd have our morning meeting, and it was like, okay, well, we have this guest coming on, and we have this album and this video that we have to promote, and there were some artists who were just. Real stinkers, like not good looking, not talented, but because the radio or the record label would say, like, this is the agenda. We had to tell these girls, like, this guy's hot. This song is awesome. And people bought it because they want to believe Group think makes you feel warm and fuzzy. Yeah. It feels good, and so if you tell someone that Trump's a good businessman, like no, he's not. No one in the morning meeting believes that he's a good businessman. But you just get on and you say what's on the cue card, man.
0: That's it. Well, it's it just. But the question I always ask is why? Why? Why do people subjugate every single ethic, moral center that they have? Like, is it just? Is it just come down to racism and sexism and? you know, angry white people who feel they're being replaced. Because yeah, because there's, there's a lot you wouldn't accept that. that in your marriage. If like five thousand people told you your wife is cheating on you, mm-hmm. you wouldn't be like, No, it's not true. Right? But when when Trump does something in the whole world, the evidence is right there, mm-hmm. these people just put their blinders on like horses and they just trot through life and everything's fine.
1: It's hard to it's hard to say I messed up. Yeah. That's hard for anybody. And so what if we, as people who don't agree with them Is there a grace in offering up different language instead of being like, admit you were wrong. Is there grace in being like, Hey, you know, you were manipulated. How can we help you dig out? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, and maybe not like maybe, no, maybe the ship has sailed and there's no room for grace anymore. But I think that the, the only way through it is, is finding that, you know, it's like, I guess uh, Mitch McConnell, fell down and got really, really hurt. Mm -hmm. And I'm seeing a lot of left-wing people say, like, not funny. right? Not funny. Come on. Be cool. I don't know if we would see that if it was the other side. No.
0: I mean, Junior was just a CPAC, and he said, you know, Pennsylvania is elected a a vegetable. He called John Fetterman a vegetable. I mean, I tweeted last night. I said the difference between Democrats and Republicans is you're not going to see any Democrats... Mocking Mitch McConnell, calling him old and feeble, and demanding his resignation because that's what they do. Yeah, the other juniors side a
1: whole. The cocaine's a powerful drug,
0: man. <laughs> He's the cocaine bear. He, what keeps you up at night? What what pisses you off right now in the world? That if you could do something about God, well, that you're not already which doing.
1: Day of the week, Andy. The war on women's rights isn't mm-hmm. isn't just on women; it's specifically on women of color the mortality rate for women of color, um, in pregnancy here is disgusting. It's disgusting. Black women, when they go into the doctor are not believed. Mm -hmm. And so this assault on female rights, you know, I remember one of the last fights I had with my mother was about, um, the Supreme Court confirmation of Kavanaugh. And I was in the car listening to it and I was just Devastated, I had just gone through the Me Too movement. Mm-hmm. I was the person that was getting talked about on Fox News, mm-hmm. you know, and being characterized as an attention seeking whore. And my family watched that. And so the coverage of um, the Kavanaugh hearing and the women that came forward bravely to call him out um, was really difficult for me because the same people who were like, yes, Hillary, I'm glad you spoke up were We're vilifying these women and I can't wrap my head around it. And I just kept being told how hysterical I was. They're not gonna take away abortion. They're not gonna take away birth control. They're not gonna take away women's rights. They're not gonna overturn Roe v. Wade. I was told how hysterical I was and I wasn't, I was right. So many of us were right. And now I've got this daughter and like, I will not anyone have access to her who participates in her hurt. Mm -hmm. And this hurts her. If she has the same fertility problems that I've had, she will have miscarriages. It's just biology. Mm -hmm. And will they be treated as crime scenes? Will Mm -hmm. she be told that she inflicted them on herself? That's the thing that these people don't fucking think about, is that it's not just about women who don't want to carry their pregnancies. It's about women who are going through the worst moment of their life. And now law enforcement gets to come in and inspect your naked body to make sure you didn't throw yourself down a flight of stairs or you didn't Mm -hmm. do something to yourself to inflict this. It happened. It still happens in other parts of our country where women are being accused of, you know, drug overdoses to kill their baby intentionally. I am horrified that we have only now just started to talk about miscarriage in a public way. And it is going to be put right back
0: into Mm -hmm. the dark corners. Well, this... You, I'm sure you're following this case out of Texas. These five women who are suing tex- yeah. Texas because of exactly what you're talking about, and these are women that that you know buck the conventional wisdom of you know people who want abortions or just like you know selfish. And they these are women who have had serious health issues. Yeah. I, and I wrote this down. They'll I, die. The, I, one of them had a cervical insufficiency, um, and she was literally forced for like three days to she eventually went septic, yeah, and almost died before it was like okay, your health is in danger. Mm-hmm. And other, another woman, uh, woman like you know, I guess tried to go across state lines to get, to get the treatment. They, the the issue, I think that you're speaking through is that abortion is just such a demonized word, mm-hmm. and abortion for a lot of women is a health issue. It's not it's not the termination of a baby. It's sometimes Saving the mother's life, saving the child's life, or in the case of one of these defendants, I think she had to decide between one of her twins, mm-hmm. uh, you know, yeah. in She's order a to save a dead one, baby. Yeah. And so who the fuck thinks that, that some dude in a prosecutor's office should be the arbiter of whether this is allowed to happen? It's
1: marketing, man. It's marketing. There was a parent, so I grew up having to watch these kind of Republican conspiracy theory movies, and I would go into my little middle school civics class and parrot what I'd heard. And there was one about Ruby Ridge and there was one about Whitewater with the Clintons. I mean, I have watched more shit about the Clintons and you know, I'm not crazy about them, you know, like between all of the young women coming forward and stuff. But that was the stuff. It was almost like there was a Republican production company that would create these things. Mm -hmm. And so I watched the Vince Foster one as a kid, Mm -hmm. you know, I saw them all. Mm -hmm. It was, it probably was like a package you could Mm -hmm. buy. So
0: You binged it all. I binged
1: it all as like an Mm 11-year-old. And so I know what those products look like. Mm -hmm. I know what they sound like. And I know the feeling of knowledge and superiority people who watch them walk away with. Mm -hmm. And so there was one that was specifically made about abortion. And I know that my mother watched it. And so when the Kavanaugh stuff was happening, she was like, you know, well, I watched this documentary. And it showed me some stuff. And I'm like, you also watched me have three miscarriages. Like, what are you talking about? Right. And it's that feeling of, I didn't go to college. I didn't get a ton of education. And this product makes me feel like I know something you don't know. And it's really difficult to combat that. I think the narrative is that it's all just loose women that are using it as birth control when in reality when you look at the data the majority of women who have or who have abortions are already mothers right they're already mothers it's not like it's a bunch of sluts running <laughs> around going out clubbing mm-hmm. they are mothers they are trying their best it's not that they don't want to be mothers mm-hmm. they already are and so if the you know the democratic party can do a better job of articulating that um Great, because the message isn't there.
0: Mm-hmm. And now we also have, thankfully, someone like Gavin Newsom out in California, who's yeah. said to Walgreens, "Fuck you" and your fifty-four you think million dollars. He's do- running
1: for president. <laughs> <laughs>
0: exactly.
1: Seriously, no. I mean, he has turned it up to eleven in the last couple months. The
0: last couple of days. Yeah. I yeah. mean, you know, but this is where there's still hope. It's like Walgreens comes out and says, mm-hmm. you know, we're not going to sell uh, muff, muff, muff per, pr, what is it called, muff. The pill, man. They just called it the pill. The pill, the abortion pill. I, I can't pronounce that word for some reason, mephisto, pristone, but uh, and uh, California decided we're not going to do business with yeah. Walgreens. Get and out. they had a fifty-four million dollar contract, which is due for renewal May first. Mm-hmm. And uh, and Walgreens said, well, you know, they they were not going to s- sell this pill in states that were. Dominated by Republicans, that where there was a request by a Republican attorney general not to sell it, and California said, well, fuck you, not in this state. Get out. And maybe that I think now they're trying to dial it back a little at Walgreens and they will sell it, but under certain circumstances. But Democrats still can take a stand. You know, this is still the United States of America. It's not the United Red States of America. So to your point, Democrats have to fight. Women have to fight. Men who love women have to fight i mean yeah. it's just it's not a, a female issue it's it's about rights you yeah. know and then when you factor in race and you factor in trans Economics, and the lgbtq it's there it seems like there's just been an attack on rights across the board
1: it's the poor in the last 10
0: 20 years
1: how much can i push what can i get away with i don't care what i'm actually getting i just want to know that i can get it Mm -hmm. that's what it is Mm -hmm. and the line's gonna keep going further and further and further because it's a an assertion of dominance like rather than think good leadership is making everyone happy or um operating through kindness creating a space of like you know (sighs) creating a space of peace their interpretation of leadership is manifest destiny it's, it's grabbing as much as humanly possible. Mm-hmm. That's their power.
0: Mm -hmm. So I want to ask you in our final minute or two here, um, Mm -hmm. you mentioned Negan before, he's doing a spinoff now, like what's going on in Negan world, in his world right now? We brought
1: it to the city. (laughs) Um, You know, there was a lot of
0: questions. I can't wait for that, by the way. It's going to be so... Zombies in Manhattan? It's really cool. It's cool. It's really cool. Sign me up.
1: (laughs) No, it's great. And Jeff had been gone, I mean, you know, for like six, seven years, primarily in Georgia. And then like we'd go down a little bit, he'd come home as much as he possibly could. He was living on airplanes until COVID hit. And then I was like, no, you can't see your family anymore. And so we would we went down there for a long chunk of time, but it, that's not our home. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was scary to be in Georgia while a lot of these civil rights conversations were happening because we were in a very conservative part of the state. We were not in Atlanta.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And I found myself more and more uncomfortable with like, the hats I was seeing people wear and the signs in people's yards. I mean, that was just not it wasn't cool. Um and so when they wanted to do the spin-off, Jeff was like, can I do it at home? You know? And they're like, actually, city zombies is what we were thinking. And so <laughs> it's it's cool. They, Genius. Yeah, it's gonna be great. And you know so is that being filmed now? No, they're done with season one. Oh wow. Yeah, that's gonna air I don't know. Have they said the release? I know what the release date is, but I don't know if they've said it. So I don't want to be the ding dong. That- Are
0: we gonna make news? Here we're gonna make zombie news. No,
1: people know. People have to know. It's it's coming out. It's coming cool. out soon.
0: We'll just say it's coming out soon. Yeah. All right.
1: Yeah, it's it's nice, and it was nice to have him home.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> I mean, how many times did I go out to dinner with all you guys with like baby Gus? Yeah, I, he's like six years old. I haven't seen him.
0: We went to dinner, I think maybe two summers ago, and I, I I think that's the last time I've seen him.
1: Yeah, he. I mean, he's just been working nonstop, and he's doing the boys now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I saw um, that. Mm-hmm. So I don't know that the kids are going to get to
0: see that one. So that's... is he? <laughs> does that mean like he's? It's it is less time to pull eggs out of chickens' asses? Or oh my God, no. No, because um, does he still find he time? and George
1: have this thing where they do all the chores on the property while they're monster hunting. Mm-hmm. And so she finds monsters everywhere, and she's gonna be a really good actor because she is committed to the bit. And when she sees a monster, I mean, it is terror and like, oh my god, we have to go and tie him up. And I mean, super theatrical.
0: Mm-hmm. So. Well. It's, apples don't fall from the fall far Watch from the tree, out. Right?
1: <laughs> Watch out!
0: Well, Hillary, you have been uh, very generous with your time. I, I again, I literally listening to you today. I, I'm even more exhausted than I was before because I don't know how Stop. you do what you do. No, I'm so. I don't proud don't know how of you. you you take all find... the hard stuff. No, no, no. You, you're, you're, you, but you, I'm not a mother. You're no, a mother you're a grandpa.
2: too. But you've got so like, you... all these kids climbing all over we, you. We didn't really
0: talk about just being a mother. Like it's just it's enough to just be a mother in this world. But yet you've, you've, you're you doing so much. So my hat's off to you. And, and uh, maybe someday you can just write a book called How I Fucking Do It All. Sleep. <laughs> <It's> <laughs> s- s- self-help books. Are, they, they sell really well.
2: No, I said I'm never to do
0: writing a one of things. those again.
1: I'm only writing fiction from now on. I'm just like, <laughs> I don't want to live in the real world anymore.
0: Yeah, real world's getting scary. Well, thanks again. And it was great to have you in the yeah, back room. You're here in the back room. No oh, Zoom in the back room, live human content Thank uh, contact.
1: You. Yeah, now I'm awesome. gonna go shopping. There's all these like cute things yes, in the great shop story. right out the here.
0: Epicurean in Ryan Cliff, New York. Uh, and don't forget uh, all the great candy at Samuel's. Yeah. And uh, and it, the liquor. And the liquor, libations. <laughs> MF is there, is, libations. Is there a, a website for libations?
1: Yeah, MF libations. We're on Reserve Bar. But if you cruise through Rhinebeck and you are going to the candy store, we're also carried at the liquor store right across the street from the candy store. So mm-hmm. that is a powerful
0: one-two punch. Can we carry liquor in the candy store? <laughs> I mean... We should throw a party. We'll just get like a day and some license, pot gummies, maybe. Like could they change the whole thing. Let's yeah. change up the whole the thing. grown make the shop. make the grown ups happy. And the the you guys gotta watch. It couldn't happen here. It's a fantastic show and it does a lot of good. Rock on with that PTA thing, man.
1: Oh my god, guys! <laughs> yes, I just got an email about throwing the eighth grade dance. So that's what I'm doing today. Jesus,
0: uh, we're gonna crazy. we're gonna throw a formal. Well, thanks again for being here. Of course, love you. Love you. That's episode fifty one. If you like what you've been hearing, and even if you don't, let us know. We appreciate the feedback. You can leave us a message at 845-307-7446 or email us at backroomandy at gmail.com or tweet to me at Andy Ostroy. And when you listen, please take a quick moment to rate and review. It's very helpful. I want to thank my co-producer, engineer, and editor, Maddie Rosenberg, associate producer, Jen Hamoud, Cricket Langell for our artwork, Andy Hollander for our kick-ass music, Patricia Wynn and the Epicurean for the Backroom Studio. And a big thank you again to our guest, Hillary Burton Morgan. So keep your eyes on Washington, Hollywood, and your own backyards. And we hope you'll join us again next time. Have a great week.